So, brethren, we understand that today is a separate feast. It's the last great day. And we understand that it pictures the time that will come after the thousand-year millennium, after the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Now, we know that some tremendous events happen after that thousand years. And I will not get into all of the technical uh, prophecies, and I will leave a lot of the meaning for the afternoon sermon message. But we understand, brethren, that our goal is to inherit all things under Jesus Christ. And we understand that our elder brother will return in power. The Feast of Trumpets typifies, signifies that, and the binding of Satan, and the the marriage ceremony, and so forth, over those following days. And then you come to the Feast of Tabernacles, which pictures the millennium, the thousand-year reign. And our goal is to inherit all things under our elder brother, but it doesn't end with the Feast of Tabernacles. It doesn't end with the millennium. God wants to give us good things, and those good things will go on, as you understand, forever. So although the last great day is a little bit, you know, sobering, we we know we have to go back to the world, we know what it pictures will go on forever. We understand that. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21 to begin the sermon today. Revelation chapter 21. Because one of my goals today is to inspire us to stand fast, to continue to walk in the truth, and to take the lessons that we've learned and the the godly lessons we've been practicing and applying, and to take those lessons and that growth and to go forward over the coming year. To let our lights shine brighter in the coming year. I think all of us have let our light shine at the Feast of Tabernacles this year. I've been very impressed and and humbled in many ways by seeing the, the attitudes of so many of you. And I know God is pleased. And so we don't want that to end. We want our lights to shine through the coming year. We want our lights to shine into the millennium. And we want our lights to shine into the rest of eternity, which is what the last great day pictures. Revelation 21, verse 1, we have this very inspiring, very famous passage. And it's speaking of the new Jerusalem. And it's speaking of that time that will follow the thousand year period. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God in his power will cleanse and there's some sort of recreation, refreshment. God doesn't give a lot of details, but there will be a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth has passed away, and there will also be no more sea. Verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven uh, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, verse 3, from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. And we read about the wiping away of of, of all the tears. We have some symbolic uh, language here and you see that there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more sin. This is the new heavens and the new earth, the, the new Jerusalem. No more death. You know, we have to go back into the world and we're going to have to deal with things in the world. 
But we look forward to a time when what this day pictures continues on forever. No more death. No more Satan. No more sorrow. No more sin. No more crying. No more pain. For the former things have passed away. You know, we have to go back into the world. But there will be a day in the future when you won't go back into the world. It will be God's perfect government forever. What does the sign say above my, my shoulder there? You know, God will cause this to come to pass. And so verse 4 is very inspiring. And then verse 5 tells us that he who sat on the throne said, I will make all things new. So we have this refreshment again, this, this recreation, this newness, this refreshing And he said to me, so this is John hearing these words, write for these words are true and faithful. This is going to happen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will cause this to happen. Uh, There is no plan, no Marvel movie, no, no theology, no, you know, nothing greater that man has ever invented in man's puny little mind that comes even close to what God is doing in truth and what we're part of in truth to become part of the family of God, not lesser beings, not to be reincarnated year after year, not to go into some sort of cosmic stasis, but to be part of the active, conscious, living, lively, exciting family of God and to do And to rule and to serve and to reign and to have joy forever. We don't want the Feast of Tabernacles to to come to a close. And, you know, we know technically it already has. We're here on another holy day. How much more does God look forward to the revealing of the sons of glory? To rule and reign under him forever. And so he has John record that this is these words are true and faithful. This will happen. And we're participating in that plan. So verse 7 tells us then, and he said to me, it is done. When God decrees something will happen, it will happen. You know, he decreed that kingdoms would rise and fall. But this is even bigger than anything that's happened before. You know, Tyre being taken down or whatever. It will happen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give you the fountain of water, of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That's what we look forward to. This is our awesome future. When the saints in perfect character will shine and reflect God's perfect character throughout the universe forever. When your lights will shine forever. I want to talk about lights today and that theme. For those of you who know me, I, I love themes and metaphor. We're going to talk about light today. The title of the sermon is Shine Your Light Forever. Shine Your Light Forever. Let's turn back to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, because obviously, as you you know, Paul and others uh, use this theme. It's a scriptural theme. And I want to give us some practical encouragement today as well that we can take home with us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, a verse that we're familiar with, or passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now this is referring to the coming day of the Lord, and uh, Paul tells us here through his epistle to the church at Thessalonica, 
that concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And so he's just telling them that they understand that there are perilous times ahead. And verse 2 then, he's admonishing them, you know, to not, not slumber, not sleep, to be active, to be, to be full of life, full of enthusiasm, full of zeal for what's, what's coming. Not the bad times that are coming, but what's coming after that. Christ establishing his government on the earth. And so he says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night for those who are slumbering, for those who go back into the world and get stuck in the world. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. And that's a terrible, terrible thing to think about. And so he tells us in verse three that people will say peace and safety and then sudden destruction will come upon them. We don't want to go back into the world and be lulled to sleep. But he tells us, he says, you, brethren, are not in, in the darkness so that this day should come and overtake you as a thief. And I would say that we're not in the darkness. You being here is testament to you not being in the darkness. Now, we don't have it made, guaranteed, but I would say that the signs are positive. Okay? You're here. And so that's a good, a good sign. That we're not of this world. We're not in the darkness. We're not falling to sleep, being lulled to sleep. And he calls us here sons of light and sons of the day. And he repeats that we are not of the night or of the darkness. And he repeats, he keeps repeating this theme. Therefore, do not sleep. Do not sleep. When we go home from the Feast of Tabernacles and last great day, we've got to go back to our jobs and school and this and that. And we have to live. But let's not sleep. Let's go back filled with enthusiasm, God's law. And let's let our lights shine brighter this coming year than the past year. You're either growing or you're dying. You're growing or you're dying from a character perspective. You know, we're all going to die physically, but from a character perspective, we're either growing or we're dying. And as, as ministers, I've seen it and the other ministers here have, when you talk to our brothers and sisters who have been in the faith for longer, and they'll tell you, I remember Dr. Meredith making these comments, you know, that they're learning so much and God's working with them so much and they're overcoming so much. And these are people that have been walking in the faith for 45, 50, 60 years. And I think to myself, you know, wow, that's very humbling, isn't it? So even those of us who have walked in the faith for many, many years, God wants us to grow. He wants us to watch. He wants us to let our light shine brighter in the coming year. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. I won't read much of the rest, but we are to be of the day, sober, vigilant, excited, and letting our lights shine over the coming year. Let's turn to John chapter 12. John 12. Here we have Jesus Christ talking to the disciples in John chapter 12. And let's just begin in verse 34. So Jesus is talking about his martyrdom, his crucifixion. And the people in verse 34 ask him or answer him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who, who is the Son of Man? So the people were familiar with the prophecies of the Messiah and his reign. 
that where he would reign forever. So they were legitimately, they were confused. And so they, they didn't understand. You know, well, what do you mean? You're going to die. You're going to be lifted up. You're going to be crucified. Then Jesus said to them, verse 35, a little while longer, the light is with you. You know, he, he knew he had a little bit more time to be a light. How much more time do we have to be lights? How much more time do we have to be lights to the world? How much more time does the church have to be a light? How much more time do you have to be a light to your family, to your local congregation, to your wife, your son, your daughter, your husband, your friends? So he said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. When you're walking, you're not slumbering. When you're walking, you're not sleeping. When you're walking in the light, you're doing the work. You're involved in the work. You're loving the work. You're doing the work of God. Walk while you have the light. Walk while there's still time. Lest darkness or the world overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light. Believe in the light. We've got the light. The light is the Bible. The light is Christ living in us. The light shines through the church. The light shines through the sermonettes and the sermons, through your conversation with each other, through your lives and your behavior and your examples at home. I remember talking with Mr. Wayne Pyle many times. And he worked for the church for worldwide, doing, doing statistics, and he was in charge of television statistics and things like that. And uh, it's just interesting. We would always ask him, and I just find it, uh, I think God, you know, I think he does this um, in a way. It just keeps us all humble. And Mr. Pyle would say, you know, as much as we look at the, the research, the data over the years, about half the people that come into the church come in for, through personal example, personal referral. You know, they come in because you're being a light. Because a neighbor or somebody else is being a light. And so we go through these eras in the church where we, you know, it, it, radio back in the 30s and 40s and TV and more internet and less internet and more social media. And it's all, that's great. We, we take advantage of the tools that God allows us to use. But so much of the work is accomplished by us and you being lights. And we still see that. It's about half. Now, if you didn't do TWPs or you didn't do, you know, have the, 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 the telecast, God would be very unhappy, very displeased. You have to do those things. That's part of the work. But we are to walk in the light. We are to believe in the light that you may become sons of light. <clears throat> These things Jesus spoke and departed and then he was taken away. He was hidden from them. So, brethren, <clears throat> we are here today on the last great day. To be inspired, to learn, but to grow in character so that our light shine a little brighter today and tomorrow than they did a year ago. And we want our lights to shine a little brighter over the coming year than they did last year. And we want our lights to then shine into the future, into the millennium and forever. God doesn't want the Feast of Tabernacles, what it pictures to, to come to an end either. Right? He's looking forward to the millennium. He's looking forward to the kingdom of God being established. But there's a plan he's working out. And so our job is to go home and be lights and to let our lights shine and not get wrapped up in the world. John chapter 1, verse 1. We'll just quickly, quickly read through this. In the beginning was 
the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So speaking of the pre-incarnate Word, Christ, who lived with the Father from before even there was time, before there was a universe. And he was in the beginning with God, verse 2, and all things were made through him. So all things were made through Christ. We talked about that earlier in the feast. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So it should not surprise us when the darkness does not comprehend us. It should not surprise us that we at one point had... Do, do you, many of you remember how what the maximum plain truth circulation was back in the in the day? A lot of us remember. Was it uh, five hundred thousand? We were really excited. We got to five hundred thousand Tomorrow's World magazines a little while ago. Maybe we can get to a million. That would be great. Was it a million? Two million? Seven million? It was the largest circulated English language magazine on the planet at one time. Eight million still barely would make a dent as far as the world's population goes. Should it surprise us that a lot of people didn't understand it? It shouldn't surprise us. We don't put those people down, but that should make us appreciate how precious it is that we're here. And we need to prove why we're here. And we need to be excited about God's plan and what he's doing with us. And we need to go home and let our light shine and not be down We'll miss each other, but let's not be down because the next year is going to go quickly. For those of you, I saw a couple of nods from especially the older people, you know, from the right older brethren. It's going to go quickly and either we'll be back at the feast or you'll be resting. And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you'll be at the feast, <laughs> the real feast, right? The millennium. Mr. Ames, a few years ago, write in a Tomorrow's World editorial, and he was using this theme as well. This is the January, February 2015 Tomorrow's World. He wrote, Jesus said, and I'm just, this is sort of echoing what I just, just mentioned, you are the light of the world. And he cites Matthew 5.14. And Mr. Ames then says, he said that we should let, that, sorry, that we should shine as lights in this world so that others, and then he begins to quote Jesus again, may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew 5:16, And that's one of the exhortations I want us to go home with, to let our light shine in the world. I know many of you go back to small congregations in small uh, cities or small congregations in big cities or whatever. You've, you've still got a job to do to let your light shine. And God expects you to be back at the feast next year. And he expects you to be in the kingdom. He wants you to be in the kingdom as well. And your coming year and your remainder of your life is going to go by very quickly. And you're going to let your light shine. And then your light's going to shine during the millennium. And then your light's going to shine forever. Forever. Which is what the last great day pictures. Dr. Meredith would use the same themes. He wrote in a Tomorrow's World uh, from December, November, December 2012. He talks about Jesus Christ's uh, Sermon on the Mount. He says the following. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us, let our light shine, Matthew 5:16. If all of us sincerely take to heart this matter, we can, as a church, begin to be a kind of light, or the kind of light Jesus talked about, more fully than we have ever been before. I would like to admonish us, me as well, to be lights more fully than we've been before. There's growth. You're growing or you're dying spiritually. 
And we've got to grow. God wants us to be lights even more than we were before. To put behind the childish things, the things where we get easily offended. This has been a good feast. Attitudes have been good. Right? But we've been together, and I, and I know that, and I'm not referring to any particular person or incident, but I know that you probably had a run-in with your friend or your wife or your brother or your sister or your whatever, you know? And, and, and I'll ask you, and I'm not thinking of anybody, but I'll ask you, how quickly did you get offended? Can you say that you were more easygoing and kinder and more patient this year than you were last year? You know, how many of you were out running around just, you know, murdering and, and robbing banks? Okay, right? Okay, good, good. But how many of us maybe got a little bit short-tempered once in a while? You, you, you didn't fail. Well, you, yeah, okay, you did fail, technically. Right? You know, I got short-tempered, and that's, that's a failure. We shouldn't get short-tempered. Um, but you didn't fail in a big way. We're growing. We're growing. So my request is that we grow, and as Dr. Meredith said, as a church and individually, that we, quote, begin to be the kind of light Jesus talked about more fully than we have ever been before. These are not just empty words. We need to grow. Let our light shine so that they can then shine onto eternity. Let's talk about light a little bit more, and then we'll give some practical uh, admonition toward the end of the sermon. How does God use light? It's a wonderful study. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. God created the universe, but before God created the universe, He created the laws, the laws that govern how the universe works. And God could have created a different universe. Oh, no, He couldn't have the, the laws. No, no, no. God created the laws that let the universe work. So God could have created different laws. You know, matter could be different. Light could be different. Sound, space, time, pain, joy, memory, consciousness could be different. So God's laws reflect God's mind. And what does light do? God loves light, talks about light. It, you know, it reveals to us the mind. of When we understand and we meditate on Scripture and how God created His law, it lets us understand His mind. And so let's study a little bit. Light's very important to God. So Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. I went through some of this in the Bible study. We won't get into as much depth. So in a beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth became without form and void. Satan rebelled, sin, and darkness, darkness, were not to be of the darkness. The darkness comes from Satan. And so God, his spirit is hovering over the face of the waters, and he says, let there be light. It's the first thing he did. He said, I want to see what's going on. We're going to start cleaning up the earth. The earth existed, it was... It was created prior to here, but he wanted to bring light into the situation, right? God uses light. Light is powerful. Light reveals. Light reveals. After the earth became Tohu and Bohu because of Satan's re rebellion, what did, what, what's the first thing you read about? God says, let there be light. Second, 
example. We're going to go through six, seven different, you know, uses of lights. So that's the first one. In the recreation, the first thing God created or made made visible, he it pre-existed. He made it visible from the earth uh, was light. Verse two. And by the way, no competition between God and Satan. Right. You know, in Eastern religions, you have the yin and the yang and it's the balance, you know, the, the, the black and the white little yin yang thing. And that's supposed to show balance. You know, Star Wars are going to balance in the four. No, there's no balance. There's no balance. God is overwhelmingly beyond measure more powerful than Satan and more powerful than evil. Just it, it, there's not even a competition. He's just letting Satan do his thing. So that character can be developed in you and you and you. Isn't that interesting? Number two, Christ gave light to his people and darkness to their enemies. Where do we find that? Where do we find that? Well, you know, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. We have Israel and they're stopped at the banks of the Red Sea, and they're worried and scared. And brethren, there are times coming in the future where we might be worried and scared. I'm not saying God's going to do perform this miracle again, but again, God's a God of light. God's a God of deliverance. And so he came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Exodus chapter 14, verse 9, The Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, and they overtook them. Verse 10, Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. You know, Israel had been delivered from slavery. And there's not an exact parallel here with us, of course, but they've been delivered from slavery. And then here comes a big trial. So you're going to go back home and you're going to get confronted with a trial. I'm going to get confronted with a trial. God's a God of deliverance. And so they were very afraid and they cried out, Israel cried out to the eternal, verse 10. And we know the rest of their whining here. And we come down to verse uh, 17, 18, 19. And so what does God do? Exodus chapter 14, and let's just pick up in verse 19. The angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it, it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. That it was, a, it was a cloud and darkness to one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. And so God used a pillar of a cloud and a fire and light and darkness, and He separated them. Christ gave light to His people and darkness to the enemy. He made a distinction between who His people were and who were not His people. Again, I'm not saying the same miracle will be performed, but God's a God of deliverance, a God of power. You'll have trials. Let's not go home and, you know, lose faith like Israel did. They, they had all these great, wonderful uh, miracles and God brought them out of Egypt and then they, you know, they lost faith. And, of course, they didn't, for the most part, have the Holy Spirit. Most of us do. So we should behave better. <clears throat> number three. Number three. God placed lamps with light in the Holy of Holies. This is something in a passage worth worth just reading and thinking about. Leviticus chapter 24. 
we see how light is very meaningful to God. So when God tells us to be lights, when Jesus tells us to be lights, there's a lot of meaning behind that. Leviticus 24. I'd like to bring out something that you probably thought of, but to me it's very profound. Leviticus 24. Then the Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they uh, bring to you pure olive, uh, pure oil of, sorry, pure oil of pressed olives for the light to make the lamps burn continually. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, Aaron shall also be in charge of it from evening until morning and so forth and so forth. Verse 4, he shall be in charge of the lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord continually. Pure gold, very precious. Pure olive oil, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. You know, your body is the temple. And there are many things that, again, symbolize our body, the temple. But here we have the Holy Spirit symbolized by oil in gold lamps, which are very precious. Producing light. That symbolism, you know, it should be meaningful to us. We're precious to God. The light that we produce is by its nature pure because it's produced because of the Holy Spirit in us. There is good that people can do in the world without God's Holy Spirit. That is true. But true goodness, true goodness is measured by God's law and is produced, especially when there's trial and conflict and pressure, true goodness is measured by God's law and it's produced by God or Christ living in us. And that's what the pure olive oil, uh, pressed olive oil, uh, pressed olives, that's what that pictures, the Holy Spirit. And so these lamps that produced pure light from precious golden lamps, in the holy place, the holy of holies. They burn continually. We should burn continually. And this was the purest of oil that was used. The Levites took special care in producing this oil. That's an interesting study on its own. Go get, you know, a, I'm not against Bible concordances and Bible commentaries for historic type research. I'm always a little nervous when they start talking about things like, you know, the, the nature of Christ or heaven and things like that, but get, get, his, get, get a Bible commentary and read about these lamps and the, the process that we think they went through to produce the oil. Very precious. The word pure here, describing the oil, is the Hebrew word zak, Z-A-K. And that indicates clean, pure, like a righteous believer's faith. Pure and clean like a righteous believer's faith. Let's turn to Job chapter 8. You see another example here of this, um, this metaphor. Job chapter 8. And let's begin in verse 3. Job 8, verse 3. Talking about pure faith. Righteous, pure, clean. You know, there's no pollution. There's no, no sediments in our faith. Our, our oil's pure and the light we produce is pure. Job chapter 8, 
Verse 3, does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? No, he doesn't. What you've learned at the feast and the last great day, this is the truth, God's law. And God doesn't pervert justice. These are rules and laws and principles that we can live by. Um, if your sons have sinned against him, if has, he has cast them away for their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure. So there's this, this request that, you know, if people behave purely... And there, that word again is Zach. It's that pure, righteous behavior, that pure character of those who are truly converted. If you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you. And of course, we know that this is part of Job's, you know, his friends giving him some advice. And sometimes it wasn't the, the, right, the right advice. But this is a true statement here, at least just specifically the way I'm using it, that our character should be pure. God does not pervert justice. Our character, verse 6, should be pure and upright. And if it is, God will be pleased with us. Pleased with us. So the third use of light was in the Holy of Holies. And it pictures the um, the, the light that represents the, the Holy Spirit in our behavior. The fourth use of light. God helps us to see the truth through the use of light. God helps us to see the truth through the use of light. And we're very, um, very familiar with that. Let's turn to Psalm chapter 36. Psalm 36. Psalm 36 and uh, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. It's a beautiful couplet. It's a beautiful couplet. Psalm 36, verse verse 9. You know, God has life in him. Christ came into the world and the world did not perceive or understand him. They did not understand the light. And we have that light and that life in us through God's Holy Spirit, as is symbolized through the olive oil burning in those lamps in the Holy of Holies. Very precious to God. You know, I didn't want to take the time, but you know what would happen if somebody went in and profaned the tabernacle, right? You went into the Holy of Holies, that you'd be struck dead. That's how precious those instruments were and what they symbolized were to God. Why? Because it pictures something that Christ is doing in his believers. It pictures what he's doing in us. And so, verse 9, For in you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. We see the truth through God's word. We see the truth through God's word. Anything that doesn't align with scripture, anything that contradicts scripture, now scripture doesn't tell you how to, uh, you know, repair your microwave, Right? But scripture tells you how to have a good attitude with the repairman when he comes and he overcharges you, right? So anything that we see or encounter or do that doesn't align with scripture, that contradicts scripture, um, needs to be filtered out from our behavior, from our approach. God helps us see the truth through light. We're in Psalms. Let's go over to Psalm 37. We'll see a, a fifth point, a fifth point, which we've already touched on. If we commit ourselves to God, he will bring forth our righteousness as light. He will bring forth our righteousness as light. If we're committed 
He will cause our lights to shine. Psalm 37, verse 5. Commit your way to the eternal. Often people will ask, you know, what can we do to help the work? And there's a lot of things we can do. At, uh, during the holy days, not just the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day, but during the other uh, annual holy days or the weekly Sabbath, can we encourage our brothers and sisters? Can we give rides to people? Can we send thank you notes to, uh, to people? Can we send get well cards to people? Can we make phone calls to people? Can we have people over once in a while for a Friday evening dinner? I know we're more spread out. But there are things we can do that are very, very helpful, very important to strengthen the body. Sometimes people get a little confused and they think, well, I don't have a million dollars to give. Well, that's great if we do, but there are these other things we can do that can make, frankly, a bigger difference. The Catholic Church has more money than we have. So if you're measuring it based on wealth, you know, the the impact you can make, that's the wrong measurement. Psalm 37, here we are in verse uh, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Have you committed your way to the Lord? You're here at the feast. We've committed our way to the Lord. And wait patiently. I'm sorry. uh, Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as noonday. It's a promise. It's a promise that if we commit ourselves to the eternal, then he will let our light shine. What greater Joy, reward, happiness, you know, maybe after, you know, our own inheriting eternal life. Maybe maybe that's the bigger joy. But what greater joy than helping point the way to God to others? What greater joy than you being a good light to others? And you knowing that through something you did or didn't do or said or didn't say, you know, you've, you've not, you've not only not been a stumbling block, right? But you've been a help and a light. You've reflected Christ to someone else. If, if we go through life and that's all we accomplish, we don't accomplish anything that great. You know, we just live a regular life and nobody knows really who we are but our immediate family and just sort of here and gone. But you help one person, you turn one person to righteousness through your friendly, welcoming behavior at church, through your ability to answer a question at a TWP. Because you've been studying your Bible, right? You, you're able to give a, a, an answer for the faith or the hope that lies within you. Or that one card you sent, or that one comment you made, or that one comment you didn't make. Wouldn't that be just so wonderful to know in the kingdom? Wow, I, because of what I did, I let my light shine. And that really, God used that to help that one person be here. And he promises that if we commit our way to him and trust in him, verse 5 He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light. Now, the fulfillment of this is the kingdom of God. But again, what did the lamps in the Holy of Holies picture? What does the Holy Spirit in you produce? Produces light. So don't undervalue yourself. Don't underappreciate what you can do, the impact you can make. I didn't say go walk down the street and knock on doors and hand out flyers. But be able to give an answer, smile, be a light when God gives you the opportunity to be a light. If we commit ourselves to God, he promises that he will let our light shine. Uh, Verse, um, I'm sorry, the sixth point. So God creates light, but God also allows 
uh, calamity. He allows darkness. So this is the sixth point. And I, I, I make this point for a specific reason. I'll tell you in just a moment. I am the eternal and there is no other. And, and really, that, that is the reason I make the point. But I'll, I'll explain it more in, in a second. There is no harm that can come upon you that God cannot deal with, brethren. The beast power, the government, sickness. There's no harm that can come upon us that God is not much, much more powerful uh, and able to deal with. Isaiah 5, uh, 45 verse, verse um, Isaiah 45 verse 5. I'm the Lord, there's no other. There's no God beside me. And what does he promise? Isaiah 45 verse 5. I will gird you though you have not known me. We may not fully understand God, but God is sovereign, he's eternal, and he will strengthen and gird us. That you may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there's no other beside me. I'm the Lord, there's no other. And then here, verse 7, God even talks about how he forms light and creates or allows darkness. He makes peace and he creates or allows trial or calamity. He's sovereign. When you run into a trial in the coming year, it's not because God couldn't control Satan. It's not because you're helplessly adrift. God's in charge. God is in charge. He's, he may allow us to fall into tests, but he won't test us beyond what we can endure. That's how powerful our God is. He is supreme. Mr. Ames talks about that. He doesn't create evil. This verse does not mean he's evil. It does not mean he is evil or creates evil. It means he allows disturbances and trials and calamity. He allows Satan to cause trouble. But he is supreme. Seventh uh, point regarding light is that we are to be lights in the world tomorrow. We are to be lights in the world tomorrow. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 19. Isaiah 60, verse 19. The Feast of Tabernacles pictures the world tomorrow, the millennium, and the last great day, of course, points to the uh, great white throne judgment, which comes after the thousand years, and then all those things and righteous government going on forever. And we, again, we want to be part of that. That's what we're in training for. We're, We're not only in training to live and have joy during the thousand year period we're in training for that and beyond right forever let our light shine forever our goal is not just only what the feast of tabernacles pictures our goal is that and beyond it will never end what god has in store for us will never end isaiah chapter 60 uh, verse uh, 19 isaiah 60 verse 19 the sun shall no longer be your light by day and this is a, a prophecy that it matches up with what we read about in Revelation. Nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God, your glory. And it's a parallel to what we read about in Revelation. When God will be present, the Father, over, Christ is overwhelming as well, but you know we won't just have Christ, who's equal, just under, you know, in in, uh, in authority. But he, he's of the same uh, essence of God. He was God, but God the Father and Christ 
will reign forever and ever. Their lights will shine forever and ever, and our light will shine forever and ever with them. That's what we've been called to. So I want to give us four keys quickly that we can hopefully take home that will help us to live lives that are reflective of Christ, where we're shining a Christian light. And I want to remind us and keep encouraging us to remember that the goal is not just to get to, you know, the next feast or even to only attain the first resurrection. It's, it's all of that and beyond. God has a plan that's going to go on forever. He doesn't reveal everything that, that, that's in store for us. So the first uh, admonition or first um, practical application, and we've already touched on it, we must understand that God's commandments are a lamp to our feet. We must understand that his commandments are a lamp to our feet. I mean, this is Christianity. This is truth 101. I, I won't even turn to Psalm 119.105. We all should know Psalm 119.105. Just write it down. And if you don't know it, look it up later. Psalm 119.105. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. To the law, brethren, to the law. Proverbs 6, verse 23. God's commandments are a lamp to our feet. God's commandments give us direction. They are light. The commandment is a lamp. The law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Brethren, let's love God's law. Let's go home and study God's law. Let's study the Bible every day. Don't let a day go by without opening up our Bibles. We should open up our Bibles every day, study our Bibles every day. Paul says in Romans 7, verse 12, the law is good. The commandment is holy, just, and good. Romans 7, verse 12. We know we live in a world, especially the Christian world, that tries to tell us, the professing Christian world, that tries to tell us, you know, God's law is bad and done away with and harmful and bondage and all that. And we all know that's not true. But love God's law. We do love God's law, but I want to just, you know, I want to help us grow to love it more. I, I need to love to, I need to grow to love it more. It's, it's wonderful to use, talk about these, the, the future and the millennium and lions and tigers and all these things, and those are good. But the way there, the path there, is God's law. The path there is God's law. I mean, that's literally what the scripture says, just in slightly different words, right? The law is a commandment. The law is a light and a lamp to our feet. It, it helps us walk. It, it gives us direction. And wh- where, are we, where are we headed? We're headed toward the kingdom of God, where God's law will be taught and will be teaching God's law. <clears throat> Mr. Weston wrote in the uh, very recent Living Church News, this is just from uh, July, August, 2019, Uh, Mr. Weston wrote uh, the following, the commandments enlighten us. You know, people go look for enlightenment uh, in in other places. And uh, there's some self-help books are helpful. And, you know, I like to read history and uh, we should read biographies and so forth. But, you know, that's all fine. Um, I was in management and, you know, we read management books and there's there's a lot of helpful things there. Um, 
and we should. We should try to grow and, you know, we should try to learn things. But true enlightenment comes from God's law. It, God's law reveals his mind. The commandments enlighten us, Mr. Weston says. He says they give us understanding and he cites Isaiah. Mr. Weston continues, demonic spirits do not bring light. We've seen that. What did Satan bring? What did Satan cause when he rebelled? Tohu, bohu, darkness. What was the first thing God did? He let light, you know, shine through the mess. What's the first thing we should do when we encounter a trial back in the, when we return home? We should let our light shine. How do you let your light shine? By living and applying God's law. And God's law is not just, I keep the Sabbath, I'm a good Pharisee, better than you. I tithe of this and that, better than you, right? I say that with a smile, I know you don't do it, but sometimes we're tempted to think that, you know, we're doing okay, and then turning the other cheek is what we fail to do. Or murmuring is what we do. Or stirring up strife is what we want to do. I'm not criticizing us. I'm just saying that's human nature. But it's human nature. Human nature. Oh, interesting. What was in the lamps? What burned in the Holy of Holies? It wasn't human nature. It was God's Holy Spirit represented by that pressed olive oil. And so Mr. Weston, he continues... Demonic spirits do not bring light, nor does human reason, unless it is aligned with the word of God. There's some human reason that's aligned with the word of God. It's, it's, it's helpful. The source of that light is God and Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he continues, we see the connection between the light of the law and its source in 1 John 1 verses 5 through 8. In other words, who God is determines what makes certain things right or wrong. Pause. Who God is determines what makes certain things right or wrong. So as we go through the coming year, God wants us to apply our understanding of who he is to how we deal with things we encounter. Does it say somewhere in the Bible, you know, that, um, you know, you have to do such and such on a certain day, you know, and, and whatever, go, go visit, you know, Aunt, you know, Brenda and take her some chicken soup. It doesn't say that, right? But does the Bible talk about give? And does the Bible talk about service? And does the Bible talk about, you know, a way of give? Mr. Armstrong would talk about how many times did we hear, you know, the two trees and the way of give and the way of get. I grew up with that. A lot of you did too. Two trees. Those were good sermons. There's two ways. There's Satan's way, which is darkness and take and, you know, and then there's God's way, which is light and give. And so like Mr. Weston said, the source of that light is God and Jesus Christ. We see the connection between the light of the law and its source. In other words, Mr. Weston writes, who God is determines what makes certain things right or wrong. The precepts of God are merely statements of who he is. God's law arises from his holy, righteous character. God's law arises from who he is. These statutes, the judgments, the precepts, the law, the principles of God 
arise from his mind, who he is. He created the universe. He created the laws that govern the universe. He gave us the laws in the Bible based on who he is. And who is he? He's a God of love and give and kindness. We, it's not a mystery to us. Jesus said, you've seen him, you've seen the Father. So that's how we should behave. It's, you know, we've been called to reflect that. It's simple, right? Christianity is really very simple. God revealed his mind in the Bible. God gave us his laws in the Bible. Do it. Keep doing it. When it gets hard, do it more. Keep doing it more. Keep doing it. Then you die. Then you're resurrected in the first resurrection. Right? That's, that's it. Okay, to put it another way, Mr. Weston, I'll continue, re- conclude with this. To put it another way, we learn about him through his law. The law instructs us on his value system, what he values. Then he, Mr. Weston says, God is love. His law teaches us what it means to love. <clears throat> so God is love. God is righteous. Second, so the first practical application is to learn to love God's law, understand that his commandments are a lamp to our feet. Secondly, we must remember we've been called out of darkness. It's not just enough to love his law and then be sort of blissfully ignorant that we, you know, we still live in Satan's world, right? That, because then you're setting yourself up for, you know, for, for bad surprises. We have to be wise as serpents and remember that, uh, that God called us out of this world. Let's turn to Acts chapter 9. I think this is, uh, revealing how uh, Christ interceded, uh, intervened um, in Paul's life at this time, you know, Saul. Acts chapter 9. He, he, Paul's on the road to Damascus. Acts 9, verses 1, 2, 3. Uh, so he's still called Saul here, and he's, you know, bad attitude and killing Christians. And um, so... Verse 1, And Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of, uh, of Damascus, so that if uh, he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, <clears throat> he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone on him, right? Bright light. And that's how Christ interceded. Now, now Christ could intercede and intervene in other ways. It could be sometimes he used a strong voice, you know, with, with Moses. But at this point, showing Paul that he wanted to get his attention and he was going to change him from this corrupt way of, of really of Satan. I mean, he was, he was murdering. He sent this bright light and he called him out of this world. He called him out of the wrong way of thinking, the wrong understanding. Ephesians chapter 5, that, that really impacted Paul. And Paul uses light in his epistles and in his preaching, not only because of that, but I think, I think in part because of how Christ revealed himself to Paul. And we see light being used a lot in Paul's uh, writings. Now, again, not just because of that. I, I think Paul uses light because uh, God uh, uses light. It's, a, it, it's uh, one of the tools and techniques that God uses. But we turn to Ephesians chapter... Five, verse 8, Ephesians 5, verse 8, just one example, where Paul tells us, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light. Brethren, we all were at one point in the world, even if we grew up in the church, at one point we were in the world. We weren't 
our minds weren't fully opened. And so we need to understand and remember that we are to not be of the world, part of the world, that we live in a world that is dangerous to Christians. And so we need to let our light shine, but that's not just, you know, nice, fancy words. That means that we need to avoid bad things, avoid darkness, don't go along with the world. I'm not going to get into lots of little details, right? But they're not, you know, sometimes those little details reflect, sometimes when people stumble in little details, it's because they don't understand deeply the mind of God. Okay? And I'm not going to give examples, because if you give an example, I just don't want to go down that path. But even some of the little things that are contrary to God's mind, they're contrary to God's mind. And so we grow, God's patient, and young people grow, and old people grow. Let's not just love God's law. Let's also understand that we live still in a world that's dominated by Satan the devil. A world of darkness. We've been called out of that world. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. And verse 20. A very important scripture. Isaiah 8 verse 20. Where God is um, orientating us. He's orienting us to his law. And he's kind of warning us about getting wrapped up in the world. Now, again, Mr. Weston said it, and I agree, and I, I'll, I would say it, and Mr. Smith would say it, and Mr. Stevens and Mr. Harrison, and we, we would all agree that there's some good books out there you can read, and they're helpful, but they've got to align with God's law, right? They've got to align with God's law, and what doesn't align with God's law, you dismiss. To the law and the testimony, Isaiah 8, verse 20, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. We have to remember we live in a world that is Satan's world. And what is he? He's a counterfeiter. He counterfeits. And so I don't want us to go home, you know, nervous or, 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 or overly scared. But I want us to go home and be careful to understand that that oil that we have in the lamps, God doesn't want us mixing that oil with anything else. Does that make sense? Now, you can't only read, you know, the Bible. I get well, you can. I mean, but it's it, there's other things you need to read, right? You're going to watch the news, you know. Again, use the microwave oven example. You got to repair your microwave oven. The instructions aren't in the Bible on how to repair your microwave oven. So there's other things you have to read, right? There might be good. There's some good philosophy books. Um, there's some good history books. But we have to be very careful not to let anything that's contrary to God's pure instruction pollute us. We have to remember that we live in a world still controlled by Satan. Remember the old book back in Worldwide? And what did it have? I, I forget the exact uh, title, but it had the, the, the jail bars on the front, a world held captive, I think. Yeah, world held captive, and it had the little prison bars. And so we live in a world where, you know, we've got to be careful and filter everything over the coming year through what we understand God's law and God's mind to be. Isaiah 8.20 tells us, to the law and the testimony, if they don't speak according to this, there's no light in them. So we need to look for uh, the truth in God's word, and anything that doesn't measure up against that, we dismiss, we reject. Third point, third point. We need to visualize our goal. We need to visualize our goal. 
We absolutely should visualize our goal. We've had good sermons and sermonettes at the feast this year. And we need to visualize the coming kingdom of God. And we need to know that God wants us there. He's on our side. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11. We've been to Isaiah 11 a couple times, and that is fantastic. Isaiah 11. And I'm just going to only uh, read verse 9. This whole passage is very uplifting. But the third key is to visualize God's goal. The first key was, you know, God's law, it's a command, His laws and commandments are lights to our feet. They give us the path to eternal life. Second key is remember, you know, we are in Satan's world. There's still darkness. This, the world's a world of darkness. Yes, we have to function in it, but don't, don't compromise, right? That, that holy oil, that's the Holy Spirit that oils the Holy Spirit in you. And so we, we also then need to apply principle three, which is visualize the kingdom. Uh, they shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain. I know we've read this, but do we really look forward to that time when there's no more suffering, no more crime, no more war, no more pain, all those bad things that are going on in, in the world today? And why will those bad things go away? Well, the answer is right there. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. His law will cover the earth. His law, His law, His law, His law. We really have to love and grow to love even more God's law. I think we do, but let's, let's gird up ourselves and let's study His law more over the coming year. What is the road to eternal life? Is it speculation about exactly what's going to happen in the X bowl to this you know, part of the country? The ex bowl judgment, you know, or is it ex- is it speculating on exactly, you know, when does, um, you know, is, is Peter the place of safety? I was going to give you one more obscure, but I don't want to really stir things up. But, um, you know, those things are great. God, we have a spirit of prophecy, God says, the church does. But the law is the path to eternal life. And the more we keep the law and love the law, the more God will give us understanding. Do you think there's a correlation between how much God helped Mr. Armstrong to understand about prophecy and how much Mr. Armstrong loved God's law? Do you think there's a correlation between how much Dr. Meredith loves God's law, loved, and how much he gave him understanding about prophecy? Do you think there's a correlation with Mr. Weston? Do you think there's a correlation with Mr. Ames? How much they love God's law and how much they understand about prophecy? It's interesting, isn't it? So meditate on that. Think about that. Do you want to understand what's coming? Do you want to understand more about the timing of the events and, and what's going to happen to you know, people that used to be in the church and this and that and, you know, love God's law. Meditate on God's law. The more we love God's law, the more we obey Him, the more He gives us understanding. The more we love God's law, the more we obey Him, the more He gives us the Holy Spirit. You know, I'll talk to people sometimes on the phone, none of you, and they'll, you know, they're, they're not keeping God's law at all. I'm not talking about church members. They're not keeping God's law at all, and they're convinced they have the Holy Spirit. And some of them have a spirit. You know? You can tell who God's people are, not by them claiming they have the Holy Spirit, by, but by how they live. How they live. And often they're quiet, and often they're not really well known. But God knows them and they're lights in their community. Maybe they're a light to just one or two people. 
the law. We must visualize the kingdom, but to get to the kingdom, we've got to love God's law. Revelation chapter 21. We began uh, the sermon today in, in Revelation 21 verses 1 to 3, but I want to go to Revelation 21 and real quickly look at verses 22, 23. So a little later in the chapter. Let's visualize our goal. Let's visualize the future. It's good to visualize the future. Proverbs says where there's no vision, the people perish. The people cast off restraint. Revelation 21, verse 22. It's also good to read prophecy and good to meditate and visualize what's coming. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So this is after the thousand year period. This is after the millennium. This is after Satan's rebellion. This is when the Father and the Word um, are dwelling together in the temple, in the New Jerusalem. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And you see that theme of light going through there again. And the nations of those who, sa- who are saved shall walk in, in its light, and the kings of the earth, and so forth. Verse 27, nothing will go in there that's, you know, contrary to God's law. Let's visualize that time. Not just the millennium when we'll get to play with, you know, uh, and I'm not making light of it. It's great, you know, but, you know, the kids or we will get to play. Wouldn't it be cool to play with a big gray wolf? You know, those are impressive animals. Gray wolves, they're, you know, the big timber wolves, our Canadian friends, you know, they, uh, they, 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 they have them more up there, right? And they're, they're big, powerful animals. Uh, that's fantastic. I mean, they're one of God's creation. But, but that's, you know, that's nothing compared to the New Jerusalem, the Father, the 24 elders, the archangels, the heavenly hosts, millions and millions, maybe eventually billions of other members of God's family. God doesn't give us a lot of detail, but we need to think about that future. Visualize our goal. The fourth and final uh, practical application. So again, number one, God's law. Number two, we live in a world still of darkness. Number three, visualize the goal. Number four, and the fourth and final, is let's remember to apply the keys that we always hear about of prayer, Bible study, fasting, and meditation. Let's remember to apply the keys of prayer, Bible study, fasting, and meditation. I'm not going to give a sermon or a little sermonette on each of those keys. But let's remember to apply those keys of prayer, fasting, Bible study, and meditation in the coming year. Why should we apply those keys? Because the more we apply those keys, those are practical steps God gives us that help us become more like Christ. So, like I said, I wanted to give some practical admonition for the coming year. So, the fourth and final key, apply the keys of prayer, Bible study, fasting, and meditation. There are many scriptures that we could turn to. I'm not going to turn to them. But let's apply those keys in the coming year. Brethren, we've been told to let our lights shine. Let's, we have a few more scriptures before we wrap up. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I could stand up here and tell you to let your light shine, but without those practical keys, I'm not really being fair and giving you 
you know, some helpful instruction. It's, it's, it's instruction we know. We know. We know we need to keep God's law, love God's law, study God's law. That's point one. We know we live in Satan's world. We need to not be dumb about it and just go through blindly and, oh, I'm going to sign up for this and go see that bad movie and become a that, become part of that, you know, group that's breaking God's law and, and do this on the Sabbath and become, you know, be friends with these people who are breaking God's law and take this job that's going to make me compromise the Sabbath. We know that, right? But it's worth mentioning sometimes. That's point two. And then point three, of course, is to visualize the goal. We do this for a purpose. And point four was those practical steps of prayer, Bible study, fasting, and meditation. We know that if we apply these keys, then we can fulfill Christ's instruction to be lights to the world. Matthew chapter five and verse 16. Matthew five, verse 16. Moreover, when you... Oh, sorry, chapter 6. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. None of what we do is for our own glory. Now, good works are good. And to shine your light is good. But the glory is to God. When people ask you, why are you happy? There's a couple, you know, fine answers, but you should include some version or some variation of, I understand God's law. I understand, you know, God's given me his law. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I try to live as a Christian. It's not, I'm just a good person. When people ask you, why do you serve? When people ask you, why do you forgive? When people ask you or me, you know, why do we do what we do? It's because we've been called out of this world into a different, better way of life. I'm not telling you to all go home and, again, get real preachy and in the face of all your neighbors. But when people ask if God gives you the opportunity, oh, I've, I, I really believe in the Bible and I try to live by, by the Bible, true Christianity. And God can let that person be inspired to say, well, tell me more. Or not. Usually they, they, they don't care. Right? So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. We don't hide our, you know, our works under a bushel, under a basket. And glorify your Father in heaven. We've been called to glorify God through our good works. God has given us seven days plus this eighth day. To be fed. It's been a break from the world. And I think you've done well. And I, I think God's pleased. I, from what I've heard at the other feast sites, you know, things have gone well. And that's, that's good. So let's go home and keep doing well. And let's do better this year than maybe even uh, last year. We know a time is coming. And I won't talk, I won't turn to it. But Joel tells us a time is coming of darkness and gloominess. The day of the Lord, Joel 2, verses 1 and 2. A time is coming of darkness and gloominess, Joel 2, verses 1 and 2. And we know there will be a time when the work will be temporarily shut down. We know there will be a time where the church will flee to a place of protection. When those events happen, let's us be able to look back and say, you know, we Maybe I could have done a little better, but I, you know, I, I did. I, I, I stood up for, for the truth and I let my light shine and I grew. And I was a good example. 
And I studied my Bible. And so when God gave me an opportunity to answer a question at a TWP because some guest came up, I, I was able to give a decent answer. Or my boss or my teacher, you know, challenged me and I was able to give them a decent answer. Let's be able to look back on our lives and say, we let our light shine before men for the glory of our Father in heaven. Let's turn to John chapter 14. John 14. Visualizing the future a little bit. John chapter 14. We know Jesus Christ was willing to endure death because of the promise and the future that lied ahead. And we know that he wants us to be part of that. He, he wants us to really be part of that. He, he, he cares about us and you and me. And so as we go back into Satan's world, as we let our lights shine today, tomorrow, and hope that our lights will then shine into the millennium and shine forever, let's not let our hearts be troubled. It's fine to be a little bit, you know, we're a little bit sad. You know, Ecclesiastes says there's wisdom in the house of mourning. Now, I'm not saying we should mourn a whole lot, but, you know, I mean, it's a little, you're a little sad. The feast and last great day are coming to an end. We have one more service this afternoon. But look at what Christ's motivation was and his vision. What was real to him? Let not your, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. You know, this is a very famous verse in Christianity. But people think it's just metaphor. They don't know what it means. But we understand that there really are many positions, many jobs, many roles awaiting for us in God's kingdom. If it were not so, Christ says he would have told them. He went to prepare a place for his disciples, for us. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself. And that's our hope. We wait for our elder brother to return and he's been working and he's excited and he knows we don't know what's in store. We barely, right? What's the Bible say? It says you look through a glass darkly, you really barely understand what's in store. It's got to be pretty awesome because God's pretty awesome and Christ endured death for it. And he's excited about it here in John chapter 14. He's telling the disciples, you're going to go through trials. Most of these guys got killed. Right? And Christ was going to get killed. And he says, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, I go to my father. And I'm going to return. I'm going to return. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. We look forward to being with Lord Jesus, with our elder brother. And again, it's not just the first resurrection or the first few decades of the millennium or just the millennium. It's that into the rest of eternity. When our lights will shine forever. As Mr. Friddle mentioned, this is not the only day of salvation. This might be our day of salvation. But the last great day pictures the great white throne judgment. And that's a day of salvation for potentially billions. It just gets more exciting. Do you want the feast to end? Did anybody say, you know, it's just boring. I don't like it. I, it's, it's old. It's boring. I just, it's, no, 
right? We, we want it to go on. We're going to want God's kingdom to go on. It's never going to be boring. You know, we have the millennium. It's going to be awesome. Then there's the great white throne judgment with billions of people we're going to work with. I mean, that's even bigger. What's beyond that? Daniel chapter 12 in conclusion. Daniel chapter 12. So again, brethren, the, uh, the title of the sermon and the admonition is to shine your light forever. Shine your light today, tomorrow, but our goal is to shine our lights forever. No more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, no more Satan, no more confusion, just joy, happiness, peace, nothing profane anymore. Our goal is to shine our lights forever. And so in conclusion, God gave Daniel a little glimpse into this. Daniel chapter 12, and I'll just read verse 3. Verses 1 and 2 talk about some end-time events. And brethren, I want to encourage us to be wise. You know, how do we get wisdom by a fear of the Lord? How do we live righteously, live wisely by applying God's law? So hopefully this is us. Hopefully we've been fed at the feast and we'll go home and we'll be a little wiser, let our light shine a little brighter so that God can trust us to let our light shine in his kingdom forever. Those who are wise shall, shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. Godspeed that day. I mean, that is going to be awesome. And those who turn many to righteousness, we're part of that. Like the stars forever and ever. Godspeed that day. We look forward to when our lights will shine forever.